This is the Persons of Interest podcast, diving into careers, personal stories, life lessons, and more, featuring interviews with interesting people doing interesting things. I'm your host, Derek Dockett. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Persons of Interest podcast. I appreciate you taking time to download another episode. Uh, once again, if you do have suggestions for future guests, uh, feel free to shoot me a tweet at the docket. I always uh, willing to catch up with people that uh, I might know, I might, I may not know. It's always great to tell stories of, of people doing unique things, unique careers, and all that. So. Today, some of my uh, Missouri State friends will uh, definitely be familiar with this name because he was a player uh, for the Bears back in the uh, 2000s. Guys, saying that makes me feel old. I don't know how he, how he feels yeah. with it, but wow, time has flown by. But it's funny now because he's now coaching his own program out in North Carolina at UNC Pembroke. Uh, I am talking about Drew Richards. Uh, former Missouri State Bear, now head coach at UMC Pembroke. Drew, thanks so much for taking time for hopping on the podcast with me. Uh, how are things going for you out there on the East Coast? Well, COVID pending, but, you know, outside yeah. of th- that, uh, outside of the pandemic, you know, we, we love it out here on the East Coast. Um, you know, after living in Springfield and Rogersville for most of our lives, um, my wife is from Springfield as well. Um, you know, it, it, only being able to go to Kansas City and St. Louis, it's kind of nice to have like a bunch of options out here for it within two hours to drive from the house to take, you know, the kids or go for a long weekend and stuff. But we love the East Coast. Um, we've really enjoyed it out here. Um, I'm going to have to drag my wife kicking and screaming if we ever get to go back to the Midwest. <laughs> but <laughs> It's funny. So this is actually your second stint now there. You're the head coach, but you were previously an assistant coach there before. So uh, before we start talking about uh, previous things and your road from college to what you did to get to where you are now, I'm curious, what was it like returning to a place where you were assistant coach? Was that an easy thing? Because obviously you had some experience being there and you knew the culture of the university. What was that like uh, being able to go back to a place where you were uh, you had some familiarity with? Yeah. I mean, we loved our time at UNC Pembroke. I mean, I was the associate coach under Ben Miller for five years and we were able to have some success and, and uh, we love the people. We love the university. It's a, it's a great situation. I mean, you know, you've got a division two school that has almost 8,000 students. You've got a football team, you've got a massive campus. It's, it's a rural campus, but it's really nice. And, and you get a ton of support. I think we were top 30 in the country in attendance um, nationally, I mean, uh, all these years. And so it's, it's really a special place for, especially for, for, for people, but also for basketball. So we really enjoyed our time there. Uh, we weren't planning on going anywhere for a while. Um, you know, and then the opportunity opened up at Lander University, um, which is about three and a half hours in Greenwood, South Carolina, in our, in our, in the same league. Um, I've always admired Lander. I thought it was a really good job. The people there were really nice. Um, you know, the first year we won the conference championship at UNCP, we actually did it on Lander's home floor. So we spent oh, wow. about three or four time, three or four days in the community. Um, I got to know those people and, and, and really thought, hey, if it ever opened up, I'd love to take a crack at it. Um, got lucky enough, the AD's dumb enough to actually hire me um, there <laughs> this past year. Um, you know, and obviously the game in the game plan, you're thinking, OK, this is a job that we can be at four or five years. Um, you know, it's a great quality of life. You know, you're isolated around a lake, but it's a, it's a nice situation for your family. Um, but, you know, you always feel strongly about 
kind of where, where we kind of laid our, our roots at, you know, uh, UNCP, that's the longest we've lived anywhere outside of Missouri yeah. our whole lives. So, um, you know, when, what, obviously we will have some success at Lander this year. And then, you know, when UNCP opened back up, um, you know, it, it, it was a decision we had to think about hard, but also not too hard because we really felt always felt a kinship, always felt really drawn, um, to that area. And, and like I said, we've had a great experience. So when the opportunity arose, it was, it was, really hard not to want to come back to someplace you feel that's considered home nowadays. Nice. Nice. So I got to ask, because I know most folks want to go back and go through it. So I'm curious, after looking up some stuff back in the past this morning, before we uh, hopped on the call here, I didn't even realize that uh, your degree in public relations, and I just totally forgot that you did uh, some analyst work on Missouri state uh, radio with Art Haynes back in the day. I didn't even think about that at all, but I got to start off right there because what was that like doing radio? Did you, how did, how did you even fall into that opportunity first? Well, I can say this after spending that much time with Art Haynes, I can tell you, he knows more about sports than 90% of coaches out there. That dude is unbelievable. He's an encyclopedia. Oh, it's incredible. And just his being around him and watching him study. And I mean, it was an, it was an amazing experience. I mean, he, there's a reason why he's such a legend, but you know, when I, I got into the uh, radio gig, whenever I got back, I got, I played professionally in Germany. I got back. I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life at that point. I was single, um, bouncing around between my brother's house and other, other couches and stuff. And, and I tried to get back overseas, but there was some confusion after I signed with an agency. And so I was going to have to wait till January. So I, I didn't know what to do with my life. I was at a kind of a standstill. So I, you know, I started looking around for positions and, and ironically, my wife's father, Mike Keltner at the time, uh, his son, Connor was, uh, playing in games and they needed somebody else to take some, some of that workload off of him. Um, for the broadcast. And I guess they thought I could speak well enough that I could get on there and not sound too dumb. And uh, so they brought me on. And I remember the still been the first game uh, at uh, UALR was the first game. And I was super excited. I think I haven't been that excited about a non-game thing in my entire life. But, um, but you know, sitting down there, seeing big Joe Klein walk by, but, you know, sitting down the hard. So I, that's how I got kind of connected to it. And I, I, I did the radio for the Bears, the color commentary. Um, I did – I sold insurance in Springfield, and I coached an AU team with Dale Lamberth, uh, one of our old Missouri State yeah. buddies, um, for about two years before I realized that, you know, this coaching thing is, is way better for me than the insurance thing or even the radio thing. But staying around – I thought keeping close to the game, doing that radio, seeing Coach Martin, seeing Conzo and and that team and being able to see the ween shot at Northern Iowa and, and Art losing his stuff. And I mean, <laughs> it was really cool to, to, to see it and be around it. But, you know, you almost get burned out at some point where you need to take a step back and, sure. and realize how much you love the game. And I think that really helped me being around it, but not being completely bought in. But then towards the end of that second year, I'm kind of like, I want to be doing what they're doing now. Now I want to like have stake. I want to have a little skin in the game. And, uh, and that's kind of the whole thing that pushed me into, to get into college coaching. Okay. So that was going to be my next question is how that happened. Because I'm thinking to myself as, as you're a college student, you know, most, most, most folks know, you know, they kind of have an idea of what they may want to get into when they're in college and things like that. But typically you don't find someone with a PR degree uh, or communications thinking I'm going to land in coaching. Now it accidents happen. Things happen. Yeah. Part of this podcast has been talking about how people's stories where, you know, me, for example, changed my major as a junior at Missouri state. And all of a sudden yeah. it's like, I went from being a fine arts to a bachelor of arts with advertising. And I, I figured out what I wanted to do for you. It was after college. And then it was, as you were sitting there, you know, on the sidelines of basketball, you realized you want to be back in the game. 
how did that progress and how did you sort of find your way? Because the coaching industry, as I've talked to some people, it can be tough to break in. you got to really pay your dues to sort of uh, find a way, but you've progressed in a pretty good amount of time to get where you are now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, I, when I got back from Germany, I was, I, and I didn't get back a chance to go back over. I was really burnt out. I mean, I, I played basketball for so long and I think it just got to a point where I just needed to take a break. So that's why, um, you know, I think balancing working in a legit nine to five job, um, selling insurance and, and listening to those people complain about rates going up and, and stuff like that made me realize that that really wasn't my bag. And then, you know, being able to see high level mid-major basketball, one of the most successful times in Missouri State history on the outsider, kind of looking into that. And then being also able to coach AU with my teammate and be able to see success and see, you know, these seventh and sixth and eighth grade kids that are developing and growing as people and seeing the impact that coaching can have. Um, I think all that kind of spearheaded into like, I remember sitting down with my, uh, my fiance, my fiance, my girlfriend at the time was like, Hey, I'm going to quit this job that pays me a lot of money. And I'm going to go volunteer at a junior college just an hour and a half away. Um, and I'm going to sell my car and I'm going to start my master's and take out a boatload of student loans. And she was unbelievably supportive of it because I don't think if she was, I'm not sure I would have jumped in as, as head first. But, yeah. you know, when I was in college, I didn't, I didn't want to coach. I mean, I never thought about coaching, I, you know, looking back on, it, I wish I would have had a more coach's mindset when I was in college, but at the time I just never thought it was something I'd be interested in. Um, but you know, it, that bug really bit me. And I, I remember the first person I called was, was Ben Miller, uh, who ended up hiring me at UNCP. And I just said, Hey, how do I get into college coaching? I've, I've got no doubt this is what I want to do. I'm 100% in. What can I do? And he said, well, you need to quit your job. Um, you need to go take a job that take, pays you little to no money, and you need to get your master's. So I literally did all those things. I, I sold my beautiful Tahoe that on 20-inch 20, 20 rims. I mean, it was on my dream car, Z71 black Tahoe. And I bought like a 94 BMW for like two grand with like 280,000 miles on it because I didn't have to make payments on it. Right. So I And I immediately, you know, the Coach Walker, Yancey Walker at West Plains, liked my 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 I guess a little bit of uh, my enthusiasm for what doing this and I said hey you don't have to pay me anything I will work you know all day every day just give me an opportunity to be on your staff and he said sure come on down so my entire first year at uh, Missouri State West Plains I didn't get paid anything I didn't get paid a cent um, I lived off student loans and uh, food pantries I used to go wow. to food pantry because my big thing was I didn't want any help for my family. You know, my, my girlfriend, now my wife at the time would come buy me groceries when she saw me eating like the 15th can of tuna that week. Um, but, but I didn't want any help. I wanted, I, I was a hundred percent of this. I wanted to see what would happen if I just dove head first in and uh, second year, they found me like a study hall job that paid, uh, I think $500 a month or something like that. Um, and then luckily after those first two years, we were able to be successful when I think we averaged like 21 wins. We won the regular season championship. Um, and then I was going to be able to jump in my first full-time gig, but it really, I think it really took me stepping away from the game as a player, taking a break, catching my breath. And then once I realized where my passion really lies and, uh, and seeing it and seeing the game from an entirely different perspective, because to me, coaching and, and playing is so different. Um, but seeing it from an entirely different perspective, such an analytical side with coaching, it made, it kind of reinvigorated exactly why I love the game so much. And that's kind of how I ended up jumping back into, get back into college. So it's funny you say that because I was going. I was sticking back to those years when you were a player on the Bears. Um, a, a great stretch of years. We, we we don't have to rehash some of the negative stuff about the NCAA and not getting all that. But <laughs> that's actually one of more in terms of winning percentage, successful years of Bears basketball. And I'm yeah. thinking about the players that you you mentioned, Dale Lambert, um, yourself. Um, you know, Blake. A. I mean, that this the, the the names go on and on and on. And 
what you guys did sort of set the tone, I mean, for the success that they end up having, getting Conzo Martin. And, and you know, that, that actually probably led to the success of having a program because Southwest Missouri is such a basketball hot, hot spot of yeah. why JQH Arena is there and the support that the program has. Um, but you as a player then seems to be so much different as a coach. The mindset, yeah. can, you, can you describe what your mindset was as a player then as a coach now, and when you think back to it, um, anything that you think, wow, I wish if, if I were back in that situation, I, now I see where Coach Henson's coming from. Like, yeah. any of those situations pop back up in your head now? No, for sure. I mean, I think it, I think I always, I think I read somewhere like Brad Stevens, but it, and it rang true for me. I think your failures as a player make you a better coach um, because I think you see the negatives, you see what you should have done, you have those regrets, and then you can take that and utilize that and say, hey guys, don't end up like me, put your work in, do your work, do this, do the extra, do beyond, study the game, do stuff like that, because that'll make you have no regrets leaving your college career. You know, I'm proud of what we did at Missouri State. I mean, we averaged 20 wins a year, you know, and I think sometimes it's it's passed upon because of how it ended with Coach Henson and, right. and that we didn't get to an NCAA tournament. But, I mean, you look back with three NITs, I mean, it, outside of probably Southwest Missouri, the amount of respect for those Missouri State teams was is incredible. I still hear about it to this day. You're, you know, I hear that you're the 21 RPI guy. I mean, you still hear that literally yeah. every week. So, you know, it's sort of a weird thing to be you know, known for, but, um, but I, I mean, I'm extremely proud. I, mean, I still think those are some of the most talented and successful Missouri state teams that ever come through. I mean, you got guys like Devin Mitchell, Blake Ahern, Nate Ballou, Tyler Chaney. I mean, these guys were absolute studs, um, you know, and, and, you know, then we ended the year that my senior year, um, you know, we ended with uh, Kyle Weems and Will Creekmore and these guys already being on campus, you know, and I, you know, Will and I used to battle in practice when he was a red shirt and he was this big physical guy and he's still playing pro to this day. So, um, you know, but also in that same breath, not only does it come with like the work ethic, like, Hey guys, it's worth putting more work in than what you think because of the outcome. But also, um, you know, my senior year when I got mono and I missed like eight weeks, I still try to emphasize like guys, not everything is guaranteed. You know, I use that story in our team meeting of, Hey, you know, you might wake up tomorrow and have mono and miss the entire eight weeks of your senior year, you know, and that, and that could ruin, I mean, that could, that could put a huge jaunt in what exactly what you're trying to do as a player. Um, so I try to give them a little bit more of that sense of urgency. And I think players respond better whenever it comes from, and this is, you know, this is just my experience. I know there's a lot of great coaches that never play, but you know, from my experience, they always seem to respond better. Like I've been there, I've been in your shoes. I should have gotten the gym more when I was a player. You know, I was too happy being the big physical shot blocker in the paint. I should have probably get, worked on my jump shot a little bit more or shot uh, free throws with Blake a little bit more, you know, <laughs> like you should, you know, and then you're, you know, if, if you work all this, you, you finally get in shape, you finally get all this work in that you feel like you finally deserve a little success. And then you hit some mono and all of a sudden now you're out eight weeks, you know? So I think them hearing that story and understanding that you got to take every day, you got to appreciate every day. You've got to control what you can control um because at some point it, it might be taken away whether it's a knee injury whether it's mono whether it's a covid you never know so always appreciate the day and try to get better every single day instead of worrying about what people are saying and what the long run of things are so as a college basketball coach uh how difficult or maybe it's not difficult for you do you find the process of recruiting because i know for uh some folks that's that's an art form you know the, yeah. the ability to connect with players is a thing and and have them buy in to what you're trying to build as a thing for you as a, a coach. Now you've, you've gone through that. What's it, what's it like being a recruiter in the, in the college basketball landscape? I, I love it. I'll be honest. I mean, and I, and you can, 
you know, there's a lot of criticisms of Coach Henson and things, but you could no one can ever fault that that dude could recruit Absolutely. His, his tail off. Absolutely. And some of the things that he did were, were, were crazy, even looking back on it to the extreme that they did. Um, and, and just my recruitment, I know, you know, obviously with Spencer, you know, Lori and, and Nate and these guys, you know, uh, t- uh, Chaney and these guys, they all experienced similar things. But um, I, I really love the aspect of recruiting. And, you know, it's funny to me when, when guys are like, I'm, I'm nervous to call. And I'm like, well, you've never cold called for two hours working for an insurance company um, from like five to seven every single night, five days a week, trying to make a paycheck. So I said, calling a coach about a player is like the easiest thing in the entire world once you've done that. Um, So I love, I love driving. I love getting on the road. I love, I love interacting with players. I love getting to hear their stories. You know, some of the most special moments aren't necessarily the championships or the championship rings or the NCAA tournaments. It's, Hey, this kid never, this kid was the first of his family to get out of high school. And now he's walking across the graduation stage. You know, hearing stories like that, I think uh, that's part of the re- that's a big reason why we do what we do. And I think you, as a college coach, as a recruiter, you have to identify what's the most help you can be. Obviously, you got to fit talent and, and their style of play and your system and, and character and things like that. But the impacts that you can have on people's lives, giving them giving them opportunities that they never would have had because of a bouncing ball, I think is 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 an easy easy product to sell for sure. And I and as you know, from UNCP, I love this university. And it's to me, if you believe in a product, regardless if it's insurance or college basketball, it's really easy to sell that product. And to me, selling, you know, six years in a row in top 25 in the country, I mean, the stuff like that we've been able to do, three conference championships in the last four years, I mean, stuff that we've been able to do at UNCP, it's really for me to, to, to walk up to a coach, to a parent, to a player and say, hey, come play for us because we're going to try to make you as successful as possible. So I'm sure some folks here in Missouri may not have uh, been able to see uh, one of your teams, but if someone were watching a Drew Richards coached basketball team, what kind of style of basketball would they be uh, coming to see? Well, um, you know, I, I think taking pieces, I think, you know, the best, best, the better coaches are guys that steal stuff. And that's, sure. you know, so I've been able to be under some great coach like Ben Miller, who was under Roy Williams and, yep. and Bill Self. Uh, Eldon Miller was on our staff for five years. So, I mean, he's literally like talking about a basketball encyclopedia. It's incredible. Um, and then, you know, working under Yancey Walker and even Nate Gamet and guys like this, um, you know, you try to pick pieces alone that fit how you want to play, you know? So, you know, the things that we talk about almost daily in our program is defense and rebounding. You know, I think walking into Lander, Lander last year, you know, I was able to see success of defense and rebounding and then, you know, sprinting, kind of playing a little more loose offensively. Um, and walking into Lander last year where literally it was like a blank canvas. I mean, there was, they were not very good the previous four years. Um, and they said, hey, just do, do whatever you think is going to help us succeed. And so all we talked about was defense and rebounding. And they went from being one of the worst le- rebounding teams in the, in the league to at one point last year we led Division II in uh, rebounds per game in the entire country. Wow. And that, so, you know, I think, I think everyone can have their – there's a lot of ways to win at basketball. But I think finding the way that is deep-seated in you – and regardless of how bad I was shooting it offensively or if I airballed a free throw that game, I always felt like I'm going to play hard as hell defensively and I'm going to give everything I can on, on rebounding. And, and effort is, is a non-negotiable. And so I try to instill that in our players and we try to recruit talented enough offensive players that they can surpass my ineptitude as an offensive coach but buy into what we try to do defense and rebounding. So, uh, you know, I've been looking at stats yesterday. You know, they went from – Lander went from one of the the worst defensive teams in the league to being – I think they were second in defensive efficiency last year in in the Peach Belt. So, something we talk about all the time, you know, and like I said, I I think finding things that you can live with as a coach. I can live with a bad turnover. 
I can live with an aggressive play and a turnover. I can't live with a bad defensive effort or a lack of crashing the boards. Yeah. Um, regardless of if it's your number one guy to your number 10 guy, it doesn't matter. They're, they're coming out and they're getting, they're getting told what just happened. So for me, as I said, ingrained in me and some of the best coaches I ever got to play for and be around, it's always the keys that are going to win you a lot of games are defense and rebounding and, uh, and then just spring to offense and figuring out your personnel from there. Do you think players connect more with coaches? And, and I, I'm asking you as, as a former player and now a coach, um, but, you know, there's a mixed bag out there. Play, players connect more with coaches that have played the game with them. It's tough. You said it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, there's a lot of really, really like, once again, go back to Ben Miller. Ben Miller played like Division three basketball at Luther right. College. He wasn't like this prolific player but he was a heck of a basketball coach and a great recruiter. So they knew he was successful. So that's where they listened to him. You know, I think you're, I think you, I, I think, I think it helps a little bit, but also if, if a player, if they think you're full of crap, they don't care if you played or didn't play. If they don't think you're believing in what you're telling them, or they think you know what you're talking about, it doesn't matter if you played or not, or you didn't play. You know, I've been able to coach around guys that barely played and coach around guys that did play and, once again, it all boils down to the relationships with those kids and, and making sure they understand you know what you're talking about and then you can try to teach it to them to their best understanding. You know, it doesn't matter if I know 100% things about basketball. If I can't explain that to them and they can't comprehend it, it doesn't matter what I know. Yeah. And I think there's a disconnect between the really, really, really good players because it became so naturally easy for them. I mean, you know, there's guys that just killed it. Not easy was probably a bad word to use, but they, they, they were so good. They were so talented at basketball that it's hard for them to tell a guy down to like the little like uh, elementary style terms right. of something to do because they're used to playing at the, like the highest levels and they were the greatest player. And well, but, you know, you didn't really explain how to V cut to get open on offense. You know, you're just supposed to be there. And I think there's a and that's not everybody. I don't want to generalize. You know, there's a great players, a great coaches. But sure. there is there sometimes could be a disconnect between how great of a player is and then how can they communicate that knowledge and that talent to um, to their their team and make them understand it. So what's it like uh, coaching now? And, and, and the conference and division that you are, because a lot of folks, Division Two is it's, it's a passion, I think, for, for most folks. I mean, you find players that are looking for the opportunity, and Division Two is a fit for them. But you'll see, like, it, it's, it's great that they've put the Division Two National Championship, the, the Elite Eight and Final Four on TV, because I don't think many people realize how hard these kids play, and they don't always, often get the spotlight. Um, so that's, that's a, definitely a, a plus. But the style of basketball doesn't matter. It's always you're 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 literally speaking to me that I can see the passion as a coach, and I can definitely have seen it from some of the kids. There are D two schools all throughout this area that have so much talent, um, but for folks that haven't that don't pay enough attention, can you describe, especially from your team, your the teams you've seen and teams you've coached, um, what it's like on a sort of game by game? It seems so long since we've had basketball. It's kind of weird even asking this, um, but what it's like because. There's so many talented players out there that just go under the spotlight or go under and don't get the spotlight. Uh, but I'd love to shed some light on, you know, guys from your team especially that, you know, like, you know, just throw out some names at me that, you know, these guys are doing what they can to either play overseas or yeah. they just have, have outstanding skills that they just don't get enough spotlight. You know, I, I think Division Two is extremely underrated. I mean, obviously, we're a scholarship sport. Um, you know, we got guys, a lot of guys that, you know, uh, using different monetary methods, be able to not pay a whole lot of money to go to school or little to none. Um, you know, and I don't think as a player, I don't think I understood 
how good division two basketball was, you know, as you know, going to mid, so, so-called mid-major division one, you always like, eh, D2, whatever. Well, when I was over in Germany, I played against a guy that went to Indiana and I thought he sucked, to be honest with you. And then we put, and then the best player I played against in Germany was the division two player of the year. And he absolutely kicked my tail. So that was my first recollection of like, it doesn't matter what division you are. It doesn't matter if you're NAI, NCAA, NJCAA, if you can play, you can play. Right. And I think the niche that D2 is able to get is, our top guys were able to beat out because of, and I think this is a situational thing, but you know, there's less rules as far as coaches on division two, as far as seeing kids. So it's a lot easier for us to build relationships with recruits. So we've been able to beat out division ones on kids. We had a kid on our team um, who'll be a senior for us last year that had around 10 or 12 division one offers. And we ended up beating out these guys on this kid. Now he's first team all league last year and, and, you know, hopefully be really good next year as well. Um, you know, and then we also have a kid on our roster who's actually from St. Louis um that was the he was at a Lindbergh high school he went division three and was the division three national rookie of the year um I mean all American led led his conference and all these stats and and turns out his parents moved to Myrtle Beach and so one of my good friends Marshall Newman who's at MICDS calls me he's like hey uh, I got a kid who wants to get close to his parents and I'm like yeah I don't know I'll take a look I'm like this kid so within two weeks we got him on a visit we got him committed and now he's probably going to be one of our best players next year but and he's from St. Louis so uh, you know all all walks of life what the recruiting at D2 I think is much more pure than it is you know to the mid and then the high major level I think you can truly get rewarded for hard work and relationship building at D2 at low major and some mid-major spots um, and then I, I, to this day now that I've seen good basketball and I've been able to see our team compete against UAB and Northern Iowa um, and some big time division one programs. I mean, our, our the top 50 division two programs in the country in my bout, no doubt are better than the lower 50 division one programs. I mean, we, we went to UAB my first year at UNCP and we beat UAB the year they went to the elite. Uh, they went to the round of 32 that year with coach Hass was there. Oh yeah. I mean, we were, yeah, yeah we, we beat them that year. Um, you know, we went to Northern Iowa and we're up six with four minutes to go. Um, you know, we're competing at a very, very high level, you know, so regardless of division one, division two, division three, NAI, if you can play, you can play. And our league peach belt is one of the best leagues in the country. Um, we, we churned out pros year after year after year, you know, we've got guys that, I mean, even just UNCP, I think we've had 10 professional basketball players in the last six years. Um, because we've been able to be successful and those guys can bind to a team concept and, and be able to play their role and, and be successful in that role. So, yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've really enjoyed Division II basketball. I think it's, a, I said it's as pure as you can get as far as basketball, still having scholarships to go get kids, but also being able to compete at an extremely high level. I don't think many people probably, and I, I was, I was going to lead with this, I don't think many people thought back when you were a player at Missouri State that eventually Drew Richards would be, be a head coach. And the same could be said for a lot of players. And I'm, I say that because uh, young man, well, older man, as he, he does the same hairstyle I have now, Blake Ahern, also yeah. a coach as well. You yep. connected with him because I don't think – for him, it's sort of been a progression too. I mean, I talked yeah. to him actually when he was coaching high school here in the St. Louis area, and it's been from Clayton High School to Smet High School to G League and, and yeah. the opportunities. It's, it's, it's continuing. And yeah. it seems like you guys have the knack for wanting to teach the game, make the connection with players, and, and continue that on. Um, have you have you had the chance to catch up with him at all? Or uh, uh, Blake and I talk about every week. I mean, okay. we, we you know a lot of these old Missouri State guys. I mean, I try to tell our guys like how important that 
that brotherhood, that closeness is. I mean, yeah. guys like Kellen Easley. I mean, you got even Sky Fraser uh, was about an hour from our house out here. Uh, he lived in Greenville, so I got to see Sky a bunch when I was out. I mean, it, it is truly is a brotherhood. But Blake and I have been able – we were really close at Missouri State. We've been able to stay in touch quite a bit over the years, and obviously both being in coaching now, being able to – I always give him crap because I said, you might be the first under 500 high school coach to get a professional coaching <laughs> job in the history of basketball. But he's done a heck – and then he goes and wins the whole thing his first year. I mean, he's, yeah. he's done a heck of a job. And I know he's extremely well-respected um, at all levels of coaching, not only from his playing career, but now he's really showing people how great of a tactician he is. And, and I think – I mean, I don't know what his future entails, but his future is extremely bright. So, I mean, I'm I, – I, he's one of my really, really – you know, we're obviously really close, and, and uh, I really have enjoyed seeing him progress and, and continue moving up very, very quickly. Yeah. So what's the future for you? Obviously, you love where you are. You've got a great opportunity. It's early in the stint there, but um, it sounds like you're going to have some success, and you've already had it, and it's going to probably continue. It's, it's competition. Um, and it seems like all the coaches that I've had the opportunity to talk to, uh, that's the one thing they love. They love being able to, to compete. And we miss that now with COVID. But, man, it's, it's, it's always something – I guess building something is, is a thing. I think as, as several coaches always talk about being able to make it your own, you know, recruit players, have them buy in, and turn it into something that can get to a higher level. Um, what, do you, what do you see for the future of your program there and just the future of your career in coaching? Yeah. I mean, you know, last year UNCP was, was really, really good. And uh, we lost the player of the year in the league. Um, we lost a couple of our big guys. We lost a, a guard to a grad. You talk about good players. Uh, we had a graduate transfer that went to old dominion. Oh. Uh, so, uh, you know, so we have some good returning players. We have a couple all league guys, probably a potential third all league guy. And we brought in some new guys and a couple of transfers. So, you know, it'll be, you know, of all the years that we really needed a great preseason to kind of get everybody molded and kind of have some, some shared, experiences together this was kind of the preseason so COVID pending I don't know what's going to happen I mean I don't know what our season is I don't know what our preseason is looking like um you know I really hope these guys get a chance to play in a full season because if we're able to play in a full season with the pieces we have I think we can continue to compete at a high level and hopefully retain you know top 25 and conference championships NCAA tournaments and all that stuff um you know, as far as a coach, I mean, I, I, one of the first things I was taught when I got into coaching, making zero dollars, was just be where your feet are. Um, do the best you can at the job you're at, and, and good things will happen. And so, I mean, I, I try not to worry about what's in the future. You know, I'm, I try not to worry about job prospects or trying to coach at, at mid-major or high or none of that stuff. I really just want to try to be the best, the best UNCP can be, you know, today, tomorrow, this year. Um, you know, obviously – uh, you know, I, I love college basketball. As long as we're allowed to coach college basketball, COVID pending, um, I, I want to continue to do so and, you know, continue to find ways to um, to make impacts on, on student athletes' lives. Before I let you go, I got to ask, what's, uh, can you give me a lasting memory or something that stuck with you from the time at Missouri State? Oh, geez. Um, what's funny is I just put pictures up in our, in my office. And one of the pictures I've had on my wall, every place I've been coaching wise that I've been allowed to hang pictures, um, was a picture of me and Nate Ballou hugging each other after we beat Southern Illinois my freshman year, uh, Missouri state in the conference tournament. It was the highest comeback in the history of the Missouri Valley at the time in the Missouri Valley conference tournament in front of like 18,000 Carbondale fans. And we're hugging each other, uh, screaming fists raised up in the air. I think they were 23rd in the country at that point. Um, so that's, that's on my wall in my office, you know, that's a lasting memory. 
um, you know, obviously the good and the bad there, you know, memories of, uh, you know, being Co- Coach Henson's basement and CBS selection show and they're showing our faces and we're so excited. And then when we realize we're not getting in, we're so angry when they show us the second time. And, uh, you know, but I, th- I just think my, my uh, even though good and the bad and everything, uh, you know, the passionate fan base at Missouri State, you know, I, I think through all of that, I mean, I, I really enjoyed our time there. I, I loved I grew up watching Bears basketball. The fact that I could have any impact on the trajectory of that program at all made a huge difference in my life. I'm proud to, proud of what we did. And, and all I think back on is, is you know, funny stuff. Even like uh, uh, Blake would kill me if he t- if I told the story. We're, at, we're in the dorms. Our, my freshman year, I'm moving with Nate and Sky and Blake are our sweet mates. And Nate and I were absolutely disgustingly filthy. And Blake and Sky were like the preppy <laughs> St. Louis guys that with the polos and the new balances. <laughs> So we always, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we're all, we're all messy. And, and so we're, we're, uh, uh, our room's just a, a trash hole essentially. And so we get back from, they'll deny this to this day, but we'll get, we get back, Nate and I get back from one of our late night Taco Bell runs and all of our clothes from all of our drawers, all of our dirty clothes, all of the closet, everything sheets off the beds, all are in a massive pile in the middle of the floor. And, and we're like, what, what happened? They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. So they completely denied it. So what Nate and I did is we decided that's the pile we're going to use for our clothes. So for like three weeks straight, all we did was pull stuff out of the pile. So we tried to challenge them back by saying, that's fine. We can live out of a pile. That's not too different than what we were doing before. So, but memories like that, I mean, those guys are, are brothers to me to this day. And, and uh, you know, I love seeing how successful they've been. And, and, and I think there was such a strong bond formed uh, during those years at Missouri State that, that you know, to these days, those guys are, are, like I said, my brothers. So it's moments like that that make college special. And if every kid gets an opportunity to do it, to create those kinds of relationships that you just talked about, that's a, a good reason why to not only find yourself, but to create long lasting friendships like you guys have there as a, as a Bears for life. So you guys should follow Drew on Twitter at Drew T. Richards, the head coach of the University of North Carolina at Pembroke, the Braves. Drew, we hope we have basketball. I hope we have basketball just from a college basketball fan standpoint. But, man, I hope you guys get an opportunity to get out and hit the court, and hopefully this stuff clears up. But, man, I wish you nothing but the best. It's, it's been great still keeping up with you and following everything you're do- uh, doing as a coach. And uh, hope nothing but the best of success for you coming up whenever the season starts because we know it yeah. will start, but when it does start. Yeah, thanks, Derek. I really appreciate that. It's good to I always love talking to Missouri State guys and hearing about, you know, the suits and and uh, Hammonds. And Rock. I mean, I just love uh, those such great memories and such fun crowds and stuff. So I love anybody coming from those days that got to see uh, high, high level uh, Bears basketball. It's, I, love, I love talking to those guys. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Persons of Interest. Do me a favor. I'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave a rating or review about the podcast. Head over to Apple Podcasts, and if you don't subscribe there, just search for Persons of Interest, and you'll find it. I really appreciate the support, and if you have any suggestions for future guests or how I can make the podcast better, just shoot me a tweet at ddocket on Twitter, or you can head over to my podcast page at anchor.fm slash persons of interest and leave a voice message. You never know, I just might use it on a future podcast episode. Thanks again for listening to Persons of Interest.